welcome back to the Better Men, Better Ball Player podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. I am thrilled that you are joining us here, and um, thank you if you are returning to us, and welcome if it's, you're here for the first time. Uh, this podcast is all about just trying to have great discussions with coaches to show how they are not only making their athletes the best athlete, athletes they can, best ball players they can from a physical standpoint, but also how they're using the game to create better men with better mentalities and giving them skills to help them beyond the game of baseball. Uh, and today is just another great example of another great coach that I have the privilege to have an opportunity to have a relationship with. His name is Brian Femi from St. Michael's High School in St. Michael's, Maryland. One of the best places, if not the best to coach, he's made to coach baseball in Maryland, but a great place to even visit. Um, one of my places that me and my wife just love to go visit. Um, but Brian, Coach Femi, just does an incredible job in de- detailing his practices, discussing how he's helping players in his program and how he holds them accountable uh, to become better people, to become competitors, to have the great mindset, to compete at the highest level because Coach Femi competes at the highest level. In Maryland, um, he has had five state championships. This is He's been 33 seasons as the head coach at St. Michael's. He's won 10 regional championships, two Bayside championships. He's in the Hall of Fame for the Maryland State Baseball Coach Association. He's been the National Regional Coach of the Year twice, as well as being a finalist for the National High School Coach of the Year for the American Baseball Coach Association and the High School National Association, the BCA. Um, you know, I've being a board member of the of our state baseball coach association, I've had the privilege of meeting Coach Femi and having plenty of conversations. We've gone to many clinics, uh, and it's you know, here's a guy that's been here thirty years, coach, and he's still at every clinic. He's learning. You hear all that from him at, in in the podcast as well, and um, he just goes over a ton of information that. Um, just make sure that you have your notepad ready again, and uh, hopefully you find some value in it. Hopefully you share this episode. Please share it on social media. Share it um, through iTunes. Just let me text somebody, see if somebody would like to see it, uh, especially if it comes to practice planning. If you have any questions, more questions about practice planning, Coach Femi said you can absolutely reach out to him. He talks about it in the episode. His email is bfemi, B-F-E-M-I, at talbotschools.org. Talbot spelled T-A-L-B-O-T schools.org. Femi at talbotschools.org. It's his email address. Please reach out to him. He's a wealth of knowledge. He's done, he's done, a, he's done a ton of different things over the years. He also talks about what has been constant throughout all these years that he's been a coach. But uh, it was a real privilege uh, to talk to Coach Femi. It always is. He's a true learner. Um, from all the new school things happening in baseball, uh, in, in base running, um, to all the things um, that are pretty tried and true to being a great man, such as holding a door for someone, you know, using your manners, being a, an example when you're out to eat, uh, those kind of things. So you hear those things all throughout. And, um, you know, again, I just want to thank Coach Jimmy for giving me the opportunity to speak with him. He's a real leader, especially here in Maryland. You know, being a Maryland guy, uh, it's great to have a legend like him you know, so close by, and, um, you know, I hope you guys enjoy this great conversation with Brian Femi, head coach at St. Michael's High School in Maryland. What were you able to do during this time to kind of still build, still keep that, that culture strong that you have at St. Michael's and um, get those guys ready? Well, Bay, I spent a lot of my time trying to a couple of my kids, well, one especially, was really wasn't sure where he was going to end up going. And we kind of finalized that. So I spent a lot of time with him. He ended up going to St. Mary's. Uh, so um, I think it'll be a great fit for him. And so we, I spent a lot of time working on getting him aligned and the stuff that he had to do there. Then we had a couple kids I was that uh, as athletic director, we have a, the paper does a scholar athlete type of uh, program where they give scholarship money. So I was involved with that. Um, and a matter of fact, our baseball players going to St. Mary's got the, uh, 
he got it for the whole North Bayside. So basically it was a, an all sports combined. So that was kind of a neat thing for him. And he got some scholarship money out of it. And, um, and then I'm trying to help some of my underclassmen now. Uh, again, I was, I've been making some phone calls there because I had a couple of juniors that I really thought were starting to blossom and didn't have great sophomore years just because they were still little and young. And so I'm trying to get their names out to some schools, hopefully that, you know, we can help them down the road and they can find a good placement to play, uh, you know, once their high school careers up. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That's a, that's a great thing. Cause I was, I was just having a conversation with a, with a, with a player too, and just how much, you know, video is important right now because of the dead period and how much is important for them to start getting their name out. So, um, is that what you you typically do that a lot? I mean, did you find yourself that was this nice to have that more time to help them? It was um, because it freed me up from, from my AD duties as well. Like normally, where I'd be doing some other stuff with AD, so I had that time down. We were still, at, you know, you know, we were teaching online, so we were preparing, uh, you know, lessons through the week and then checking grades and going through all that. So I still had that aspect of it, but I didn't have all the after school stuff. So it allowed me some time that, you know, I could really work on with the colleges for the future players as well as the ones that we're seeing. Sure. Sure. And so how is this like, um, so like, have you, as you, did you help you guys get ready for the summer? Like, are you trying to, are you guys able to do much in the summer? Or are you, did you help to place them or, you know, how's, how's ball been like so far this summer? Well, we were trying to find them spots on, we, I, we got them playing on several different travel teams since uh, previous year, we had a bunch of kids play Legion, had a good experience. And um, Albert Pritchett Easton's coach runs that and um, our guys really enjoyed playing in it. And it was uh, it allowed some of them to be able to work and still play baseball without having that full weekend commitment that travel ball has, but uh, that got canceled. So we we're trying to place our kids on some different travel teams in the area and, um, as well as help some of my kids that have played for me in the past that are in college playing now, try to find them a spot that they can get some innings in. And uh, the Salisbury League's nice too because it's uh, it's a men's league, but it's it still allows you to play, get some of those kids in that age bracket, lets them still compete, um, and still live at home so they don't have to travel as much. So I guess I'm gonna spend the bulk of my time doing that. Cool, that's awesome. So yeah, just getting into a little bit of you know the. I guess the legend of, of you and St. Michael's, you know, what would you like looking back on, you know, 33 years as a head coach, um, what were some of like the biggest things that, you know, cause of course this is a year that we'll never forget, um, you know, but like looking besides just the pandemic and that differences, but what, what have you seen in your experiences with the game, with the kids, with St. Michael's? I think it's kind of neat to see the kids as they come through grow um, and what they become after they leave the program, uh, whether it be going to college or we have some kids who go right into the workforce um, that are become successful people in our community. I think that, that's really been enjoyable for me. And then they'll come back to practices and watch and talk to them during games and they'll share some things that maybe, you know, um, you don't realize how much of an impact that you have on kids all the time. And, um, you know, made an impact on them and um, it lets you know too that I think kids want structure and they want discipline and they want you know they want uh, teamwork and they want camaraderie and all that kind of stuff where I think a lot of times maybe you forget and you take it for granted and um, it played a big role in their lives and I think helped shape them into successful people. So so, <clears throat> so speaking of, excuse me so speaking of that structure speaking of that discipline what are some things that you do to you know implement those kind of things? Well, pretty much through the year. I, I mean, I'm fortunate enough to teach in a building that I work. And I know as times have changed, a lot of coaches aren't able to do that. I think I am the only coach at St. Michael's um, that teaches in this building. So um, it's, you know, it makes it a lot more difficult when you're not here. So I'm able to stay on these guys about their grades, um, about their behavior, um, you know, the way they act as a citizen, to be involved in the community. So it allows me to stay on them from that standpoint. And, um, uh, you know, you know, you have teachers who will come to you if they have a concern about a student. So I'm able to maybe nip things in the bud before they get out of hand um, and point them in the right direction. And in the same token, I can help kids plan for where they want to do afterwards because, it, you know, the proximity is really close. But we have high expectations of our kids. I mean, we, I mean, we demand um, perfect attendance at our practices. We want, uh, you know, we want them to be prompt, um, et cetera. But again, also we want them to be good people. And, you know, what we were at the state semis 
I'm going to say two years ago, and we stopped in Frederick. And um, we were eating at, at Panera Bread uh, before we were going to go take batting practice, I think at Urbana on the way up, um, and or Oakdale, I can't remember which one it was now. And anyway, we stopped there to eat, and you know, we, we, we'd want our kids, oh, you know, look, always clean your trays up, hold the doors, say please, say thank you. And um, two of our perk people um, helped clean trays up on tables that weren't theirs, uh, held the door open for these ladies. As it turned out, one of the ladies that was extremely impressed was the superintendent of schools of Frederick County. Right. So she contacted our superintendent of schools, told him how impressed he was with our kids' manners, um, how they respected their, you know, elderly people there. And, you know, first of all, it makes you feel good as a coach that you're actually getting through to people. But it let them realize, you know, we tell them all the time, it's you never know who's watching when you're doing things. You know, you know it's, it's I know everybody that wants to do the right thing when your coach is there, your teacher's there, but but nobody's watching. Um that's the sign of real character when you do that. And I think that made a big impact on our kids. And the fact she took the time, contact her superintendent, our superintendent, you know, let all of our kids know, actually sent them a letter that we put in the dugout um, from both superintendents. And it meant a lot to them that, you know, people, you know, notified their behavior and, um, you know, it goes a long way. Yeah, sure. It's a great lesson, even for them, like taking in and out, you know, doing things at practice, you know, <clears throat> anytime right. in the game, you know, during, during the, uh, just during warm-up pitches, you know, like you just never know who's out there watching and, you know, and, and so that's a, it's a great, very valuable lesson for sure. Um, do you find yourself doing like, um, cause you hear a lot of people talking about classroom sessions now uh, and things like that. You know, I, do you, have you, is that something that you, you do? Like you try to bring those kind of things out, like during classroom sessions, since, since you are in the building, you do have access to that. We do classroom sessions basically on rainy days. Um, and, and and March on the Eastern Shore, there's a lot of those. So because uh, we have to share, we we have a small gym, so we share it with softball and JVs and tennis, etc. So we have multiple stations. We use the cafeteria for some of our stations. Uh, you know, we we use a classroom, and usually we'll take that time um, and show some kind of a motivational type of thing. Or uh, what comes to mind recently, there was I believe it was Florida, and um, sure if it's Oklahoma, they were playing a softball world series and it showed the coach pulled the number four hitter, uh, who was the best hitter on their team and pinch hit a freshman. Uh, this young lady goes up and to make a long story short, had a great at bat that hits a grand slam to win the game. It showed the girl that was being pinch hit for was on the top of the fence cheering the entire time. Uh, there was no animosity she was the first one out of the dugout to come greet her. She came across the line. So it's, you know, anytime we can see things like that to, to make a point to the kids, we try to do that. Uh, we've shown some stuff that um, from special forces, et cetera, people have shown some different things that they have done to try to work the mind, et cetera. Um, and we're big proponents of mindfulness. Um, a couple of years ago, one of my assistant coaches, um, Donnie Gow, went to a session. He said, you got to come here and see this guy. And it was the guy who was the uh, mental performance coach for the Nationals. Um, his last name is Campbell. And all I can tell you is, I, I mean, D Donnie was just mesmerized by it. I said, you know, I went in, I, I enjoyed it. And the guy come out and talk with us. And he stressed that, you know, you've got to do this in practice. You can't just talk about it. You can't. So we made that a rehearsal procedure for Anytime we were doing BP, that there's a there's a job for the guy in the hole, there's a job for the guy on deck, all doing mental preparedness stuff. Um, we showed him videos of all different athletes. Bryce Harper comes to mind, the routine he does every time he takes a bad swing, gets a bad call, he's able to flush it. And um, so we practiced on that. So those are the things that we take advantage, I think, more so in the classroom. Um, lessons i'd say for lack of a better word to try to get them to get a point across um or anything that specifically comes to mind if it's in the middle of the season we might use it as a time where we write down the good things we did the bad things we did the game discuss them a little bit so that's what we use the classroom for mostly cool and do you see like and so like in your in your experience you know looking at where the game's coming from and how like maybe how you've changed do you think that's one thing that has changed here so recently having to kind of I think through that time yeah, I definitely think the emphasis of of, of that has changed. Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure most major league clubs have a, you know, uh, some form of a uh, mental coach, um, and 
I, I've just seen it pay big dividend, big dividends for us. And again, I got to give Donnie credit. Had he not been in this session, heard this guy speak, because we try to split up, we go to different coaching clinics, and um, just made a made a huge impact on him. And um, you know, one of our other assistant coaches, Bill Burton, has always been a big proponent of that. He talks about uh, kazine, which is a Japanese word for improvement in small increments. So we try to stress those little things so we go along the way. And, um, you know, it, it, it's just been a it's just been a blessing for us, I think, because it's areas that we didn't spend a lot of time on before. And all of us are continue want to grow as coaches to be as good as we can to offer the best services to our players. And um, this allowed us to do that. Now, do you find yourself in the role of view athletic director, like maybe kind of spreading that throughout and say, you know, how are your other coaches? You know, are there other programs that are doing that to kind of bring in the mental side of things? Well, I tried, we, we, uh, I'm going to say probably about seven or eight years ago, we did uh, brought out a teacher from Lockhaven and he worked with all of our athletes doing some minor things that were easy to, you know, accomplish in a short period of time. But I try to stay out of our coaches business unless they ask, because I don't want, I don't want to micromanage them. Um, but sometimes like if we're on a bus ride with softball coaches, we'll have discussions, some things they do that work, uh, et cetera. But I, I don't come in and basically, I don't say force it on them or talk to them about it unless they bring it up and say, what are some things that you guys do that's been helpful? And, um, you know, we move on from there. Okay. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. Do you feel like, like, I always think like that stuff, it, it's funny how people in the past used to, you know, I guess people would almost say like they were maybe more mentally tough, but like now we're teaching that aspect more. You know what I mean? Like, I just wonder, what do you feel is the the differences there? Like why, like 30 years ago, you would not have thought about teaching guys routines and, and those kind of things. And why, you know, what is it just be, it's just because like you said, like we're just trying to become better as coaches, but I know you have always tried to become a better coach. You know what I mean? I, I think again, you know, we, we go to clinics and our goal was to get one thing that we can use that coming season. Just one thing. If we can get more, it's great. Sometimes we get, you know, three or four, but uh, our goal is to really get something that we can do and be able to do that. And I don't remember a lot of people talking about this. Um, Frozen Ropes did, did did some stuff with it years ago, a little bit. Um, and then there was a book on the mental side of baseball um, that covered, you know, started to lay the groundwork for those kind of things. Um, but I think more and more so now you're seeing um, since the mindfulness explosions hit the education in general, I think you're seeing that just propel through. And again, that when I use the special forces, a lot of the baseball sports in general, they they look at what some of these you know outfits are doing and why why they do that. Because I mean, obviously, to be in the special forces, you have to be at the top of your game all the time, and to incorporate that back in. And I think um, all those pieces together have caused it to be more prevalent. And then, of course, people having success with it mm. um, has even made it better. Sure. Sure. I was thinking, I was thinking, you know, you've, you've, you've had a ton of great players come through there, you know, a ton of great players, um, you know, and so have you seen like this mental side of things? Is that a separator between those, those elite players? Uh, some, I, I would say I've had, I've had some players that have had great ability. I've had other players that have had, good ability that were mentally strong and, and, and could actually take their ability above the ones that just had the great ability and did have the mental piece. So um, I joke about it a lot that, you know, really coach three types of people. I coach the, the, the player who is average ability just works their tail off. And I coach the guy that has athletic ability out the wazoo, but just an average work ethic. But every now and then we get the guy that has, great ability, great work ethic, and they're your division one athletes and they're your drafty people. So that, that that's to me, that's the, the three types if I had to classify them. I saw John Scalinas, he classified him into several groups. I think he had seven or eight different ones that he did years ago, but this is one that I think it, it I can look at each kid and almost see that kind of kid in each one of them. You kind of bucket in between those three. Yeah, it's it's easier maybe to classify, but um, they're, they're, you know I tell people that all the time. I, I've got 
I've got guys that have no business playing high school baseball, but just will themselves to. Mm-hmm. Then I've got guys that have talent that should be drafted and just, you know, are average high school players. And then you got the guys that, that have both combined. And, um, you know, Adam Parks of, of recent years that comes to mind for me. If I mean, I've had a lot of great ones, but he's the guy that had unbelievable work ethic. He's the first guy to practice, the last guy to leave, picked everything up. Um, you know, he, he did everything that you could want. Plus, he had great ability. Um, he was just unfortunate, had two arm injuries, um, or he had been pitching Major League Baseball. But yeah. he had the total package of it um, to be able to do that. Yeah, it reminds me of Josh Conway when I had the fortune to have him, you know. But now he's with the Orioles organization as the coaching side. But, you know, because he, he's still just the mentality of him and they just seem so much more mature. And, but yeah, to be able, like, the, I guess for me, it's also those are the guys that also make everyone around them better. Without a doubt. Which I'm sure Parks did. I'm sure Parks just made everyone around him so much better. Yeah. My, my assistant coach said he was just kind of like a racehorse coming down the line, just stick his neck out. He'd do anything he could to, to you know, to separate himself from everybody else. And I, and I would agree. I, I mean, he didn't have to say anything. I think his, he led by example, um, even though he certainly didn't hesitate to say something if, if he thought it needed to be said, but um, he led by example. And I think that's, you know, one, I mean, we had several players during that era, but uh, really helped us to excel during that time period. Mm-hmm. You certainly did. And you were scary. You guys were scary. Good, scary, good during that time. So, I mean, those are, you know, like you guys have always just seemed to have those just tough, like even like, so the, com- the competitive side, the mentality side, you know, um, you know, besides the classroom, like do you, what do you guys do during maybe practice to kind of create that mentality to have that work ethic, you know, to you guys compete so well, you know, in every at bat, you know, in every pitch. So what are you doing during practice? That's not something that you guys just turn on. It seems like it's part of you. So how have you guys done that at St. Michael's? Well, I have to give a lot of credit to Bill Burton, who does our base running and our bunting. Um, he sells it so that people love to bunt. I mean, he, you know, our kids can bunt anytime. They don't need a sign. He sells that. Um, and he really sells aggressive baseball um, on the base pass, et cetera. But we've done some things in practice, I think, that were really important in that facet. We do, um, we go immediately after our, you know, we have a short warm up. Um, and we go, not like we used to do. I mean, it's a lot more, um, uh, what I want to say dynamic based because we got kids, we're doing hurdles and doing those things. And then we go immediately to base running. Um, cause we, we do it first cause we want them to understand how important we feel it is. And we have a group at first, a group at second, a group at third and a group in the outfield. And the group at first are working on steel jumps on righties on lefties on delayed steals on, um, whether first and third plays off of the, off your leads at first, how far can you get on a fly ball, et cetera. A group at second are doing their uh, time and looks. We're doing vault steals. We're doing um, with no out and one out what we do on a fly ball, um, which – and same thing with if you're on an island, second base, ground ball reads, because that's the one that's screwed up the most. Um, so we spend a lot of time there. And third, we do our sprint leads. We do our stealing home. We do, um, you know – tagging up on anything in the air, um, et cetera. So we get a ton of reads off that and we try to still, you know, still the aggressiveness and we give a bunch of green lights. I basically give most of them a green light unless I take it off. So if they see something by doing that every day, it allows us uh, to do it, um, to, to get good in that area. But I'd say the biggest thing we've done recently, um, six or seven years ago, we got, Went to a clinic. Um, it was a guy at West Virginia, and it was uh, it's called competitive batting practice, what he called it. And basically, you take four groups in this competitive batting practice. You got one group hitting, and they're given a routine. So it might be uh, O2 count, might be hit and run, could be man on third. They're given a specific objective, not just go up there and swing. Uh, there's a base running group, and at each base, they're given something to do. So today might be uh, hit and run at first. Second might be they're on an island. They've got to make their island reads. Third, less than two outs. What are they going to do in that situation or contact play? So they have that specific role. And then you have to break it up so that you always have an outfield and infield in, in playing defense. So if you have 16 people and you have four groups, it, it works perfect. It's easy to do. Um, you just have to make sure that you got your in your shagging groups that you divide it up and you go first team infield first team outfield, second team infield, second team outfield, and you rotate it. So you always got one or the other. The guy that he used to be the head coach at the Woodlands in Texas. 
He said whoever wins it, he started. He didn't care for a second team. If you won it, you got to start the next time and you got to wear a gold shirt. Hmm. Um, so we have, have incorporated that and then and then everything scored. So for example, for the um the base runners, if they make a great read, they get a point. We added pop sliding because we had trouble getting kids to pop slide. So they got a point if they pop slid. If they made uh, extreme hustles, always plus five. And, and back to what you said at the beginning, I think by us putting these little things in there, it's just grilled into them. This is what we're looking for. And they're going to do it all the time because they want to win these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then defensively, if you make the play, you get one point. You make an error, you lose one. We get five points for a web jam. And again, five points for extreme hustle defensively. And then batting-wise, we do quality of bats. And again, this is something else. Once we, we incorporated this, I'm going to say like six years ago. I don't even post their batting average. I post their quality at bat average. And what we found is when we were over, I think, our state championship year, our quality of bats, we hit 573 um, within that. And again, with the quality of bats, we have hard barrel contact. We have a family first at bat, which are you going to give yourself up? Are you going to knock the guy, you know, hit the ball to the right side? Anything that you're willing to do. We have hit by pitch. Um, our, t- our years that we were good, we had over 50 hit by pitches. We just don't want our guys to move. That's right. You know, if, if it's coming at you, you could take, we, didn't, we don't jump in front of it, but we spent a lot of time on that. Base on balls was another one. Eight pitch at bat. Um, you'll see our guys cheer when there's they foul off a two-strike pitch. Our whole bench will cheer because if we get four pitches after two strikes, that's another quality of bat. So all these little things add up. And um, a two-strike hits another one. So we have eight different things in that. So that's our quality of bat. So we do the competitive BP. All that's going um, at once. So you're getting so much work. You're getting offensive work. You get base running work. And because it's scored, defense are just busting their tail. And, again, when we're given five points for extreme hustle on the bases, man, they lay it out. I mean, and we're, we're pretty tough on the scoring part of it. But I think when you take all that together um, – that, that's what makes our kids play as hard as they do. Um, I think that's a big reason. So uh, i got to give credit to the West Virginia coach for that. Uh, I think now he's head coach somewhere out west in Arizona or somewhere like that. But uh, his name was Madlock, and he's the one that um, had shared it with us. Our kids love it. Like, they want to do that every day. Yeah, that, it's um, like a process-based scrimmage is basically. Some people yeah. have called that as well. It's similar to that. Do you also do – because, like, do you find yourself, like, how how often can you do that, you know? We normally, if we're playing three games in a week, which once the season starts that we do, uh, we usually do it every Saturday because we don't usually have Saturday games. So Saturday starting usually one time during the week. So usually twice a week, you know, we do it. And again, we'll award the gadget prize. If I get through and I have old baseball stuff laying around, I put them in what I call the treasure chest. Like I might pull a pair of socks that we wore in 1978 or whatever, and throw them things in there, and then they get to go in and pick whoever wins the top, whoever wins each category. Like if you're the base running category, et cetera, if you won the fielding, they get to pick out the treasure chest, even though it's not monetarily worth much. It is to them. And sure. they were to practice. And uh, it's just kind of fun. Do you do that gold jersey stuff that Madlock was saying? Do you guys, have you, have you done no, something like that? I, I, we are guilty of that because we keep saying we're going to do it. Uh, we did it one year, um, but we weren't real consistent at it. Um, but that that's something I think that we need to do because I, I think that, because kids have asked about it. And um, when I went to the treasure chest, we kind of got away from that. But I think that would be a, a big plus. Now, we don't let – I haven't let that player start just for the simple reason our depth can really drop off. Like we could we could go from, you know, a, a good player to somebody that maybe – we have – usually we don't cut. In all the years I've coached, we've never cut a baseball player. So, um you know, I, I wouldn't want to take the chance in putting maybe them in a bad situation as well. But, uh, you know, if you have players of equal talent or close by, I think that's something that would really it would really incite you to to work hard at it. So, uh, you know, um, it's it's a uh, it's I, I just like it. I, I can I I think I, I can't believe all the years I coached. I haven't done it until like the last six years. Um, I just wish it was something that you know, we could have done earlier. But uh, kids love it. And it keeps them engaged. For sure. What's uh, what's one thing that you have done? Like, what's one thing that stood the test of time? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I'd say our bunny, uh, the stuff because we, we, when I first started here, we didn't have a lot of talent. So the only way we could compete 
uh, was to put as much pressure as we could on people. So we started bunting. And the way we practice that is we, we do it on a, like a little league field. Like we a little in the corner of our field, we got it chopped off and we put a little. So the base runners are getting work in that as well. So when we do our bunting station, you might have five guys there. So you might have three guys on bases. So their guys on bases are getting their bunt reads all the time. So they're not running until they see down angle, ball up, they know to go back. So because a lot of times I see we play people that run on pop-ups and things like that. The number of reps that our guys get at that um, is just enormous. So it, it, it just in, you know, instills in them that the proper base running off the bunt and then well, the actual bunting technique. And then I'd say in the last probably 10 years, We've went to a safety squeeze in first and third that we do almost every time. And, and basically, you can't stop it. It just, unless you walk the guy. I mean, it, it's, it's almost virtually tough to stop. So almost every first and third. So we've drilled that stuff in and all that goes in. And we get the, the reads off of it as well as the bunting. And then Coach Burton, again, who does a wonderful job, he's got he's got it gridded in there into different areas. He plays a game and has total points and the only downside of that is sometimes when they go to the next station, they're worried about what that group's doing to see if they're going to beat their. <laughs> and um, but uh, it's it, it, you know that's how he gets them just to love to bunt. And again, we don't we don't make them bunt if you know unless unless there's a specific circumstance that calls on it. But most of them bunt on their own. I you know again they they'll come up a lot of times they'll ask me, and I've had the problem of forgetting to say something. We're up eight runs. Yeah. And dumps it for and I have to you know explain to all of them how you know that's not done and. Basically, I go apologize to the other coach or et cetera. That he he did it on purpose. It just did, that that's the way we play, and you know they have the option to do it, and they have to practice. Also, they're signing it to the, the defense. So if they know they're going to do it offensively, they'll sign it out to the defense so that they're aware that there's a good chance of bunts coming down. So sure, um, there's a lot that goes on to that. That's it. The bunting part is what really has uh, um, stayed through ever since I've been here. Mm-hmm. How, so, because you said Coach Burton, Coach Burton's, how long has he been with you that he's been able to play that? Coach Burton has been with me 18 years. Coach Gal has been with me 20 years. That's another huge reason for our success. When you keep assistant coaches that many years, um, first of all, their knowledge base, they can be head coaches anywhere. Their knowledge base is incredible. Um, Coach Gal coached at Chesapeake for six or seven years. So, I mean, we've had guys, you know, uh, another guy, Zach Wallace, has coached with us for five. Our JV coach, Eric Warriors, coach 10. So we just have, have had so much stability in our coaching staff. Um, and we're all comfortable with each other. Uh, we all trust each other. So I think that makes a big difference. Oh, sure. Sure. That's, that's a, that is another common denominator with successful programs, for sure. For sure. So, I mean, it seems like you love, you know, we love talking about, like, practice, man. Like, just getting into some more practice. So, like, besides your bunting like what other things like so has allowed you so with I guess with everybody's knowledge that you're bringing in do you set like a practice schedule or do you let them coaches have their own times is that how you're managing what it? I, do, I it's kind of both like I the, you see the evening before I let them tell me what they want to cover like and I got to give coach Fleetwood credit because I coach football with him and basically I took his football practice schedule and incorporated that into our baseball schedule. So we do our plyo warm-up period, and we go from that to our like our base running skill set. Once we're done our base running skill set, we go immediately to our throwing sequences. So our coaches take off, um, and I have our outfielders throw together, our infielders throw together, and each of them have a coach. I take the pitchers, um, and when I'm with the pitchers, we do things such as we might practice our holds, or one day we're down there, instead of just throwing, we're going to practice our pickoffs. Uh, another day we're going to practice um, maybe inside out move um, and then, or some days we're going to do short pens. So I give them a throwing sequence or we may go fastball change up or we might work pitch out. So in our throwing workout that, that covers encompasses all that. And then they'll take their groups and like coach Burton might be doing his crow hop and his outfielders and coach Gal might be taking the infielders. They might be doing quick hands, working on their exchanges or working on their footwork on their cuts. So we go right from that then to what I call defensive breakdown. And what they told me that they wanted to do the night before, that's all incorporated in their, in their breakdown. So let's say Coach Gal wanted to do double play turns. So I might have double play turns then on the stopwatch. They have to do it under a certain period of time. So we create some kind of urgency instead of just turning it at their own pace, and they work on that. Some days we'll say, okay, Mike Trout runs this. So we're going to try to be, see if we can get turn Mike Trout in double play. So we work on the speed of double plays 
off that. The outfielders, but we do a lot of fly ball communication. Um, so that might be something they'd be doing and not just so much on a fly ball as to telling the outfielder where to throw the ball, telling the outfielder, you know, back up uh, with the off outfielder. So they're, they're, Coach Burton has them doing those things. Coach Gauss got his group. Coach Wallace takes the catchers. They're doing blocks. They're doing throws. They're doing, you know, whatever that we put down for that period. And then I will pull separate kids out in the pen. And I usually take one or two of the pen and we'll throw them through the week. So that's how we do our defensive breakdown. Again, I took it from Coach Leibowitz practice at Salisbury when we did it there. And then, then we go to a team, something team-wise. And it might be, you know, we run a lot of first and third stuff. So it might be a first and third offense or a first and third defense. Um, another thing that we add that I really like is we do a play of the day. So I'm going to pick one thing that we're going to say, you know, we want to try to get this done at a 90% rate. And it might be first and second, I'm going to fungal, fungal base hit because that's where you've got your multiple cuts going, et cetera. Um, and we see if we can get that right at a 90% level. So we add that play of the day into that team concept. And it can be something as simple as a block and recover for the catcher. So he's going to block it, recover, see if he can throw to first. Can our outfielder take over and back it up? Is everybody where they need to be in that? So uh, we go to the team concept, and then we'll go to either our batting practice or our competitive DP part. Um, and we either do our batting practice stations or the competitive DPs to go through that. And I like to end with something under pressure. Because, unfortunately, you know, when you squeeze, usually the game's on the line or I don't know how many stations I've watched. Uh, I remember uh, Dave Warnfeld doing it. I mean, everybody at the ballpark knew they were going to do it. But the base is loaded. You still got to do it. You got you to be able to, you know, stop it. So uh, we, we will take and try to put maybe a squeeze under pressure. Um, and I'll put runners on the third. We double suicide block. So we'll just, so we can keep more people involved. Or we might do our first and third safety. Uh, you know, we, we might do uh, infield up trying to cut the winning run off the plate. So we try to do one thing at the end that involves pressure to put that on that. Um, so that, that's pretty much our practice schedule. And it's it's based on what what the coaches told me they wanted to work on the night before. And then I'll incorporate the things I wanted to put in there. Um, and we break it up and go. And it's worked really well. And, again, I couldn't do it if I didn't have quality assistance. Sure. So that's what really um, – you know, if I had to pick one thing that's the biggest reason for our success over the years, it would have to be that. The practice yeah. and the consistent practice. Our, our, our practice and our assistance. Our system, our, the knowledge base of our system coaches is just, it's incredible. I've been yeah. blessed to have it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for sure. Um, and that's why I, it's funny. I was talking to the summer kids now. Like, it's, it's so important that they get some type of development, some type of coaching, because this, this spring they missed out on so much development. And, that practice time to be able to get those drills. And it's not the game, but it's also the game can't give us the, 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 the time to learn either. You know, like the game is always just feedback on how we're doing, you know, and that's like giving us opportunities to learn um, in the moment, you know, you just got to play, but you know, I just, they miss so much. Just think of your guys missing that time during March. You know, yeah. I know it's only 14, about 14 days before you play our first game, but you know, it's, it was, it's pretty valuable. Well, I, I don't know about you um, or, or, or the people that your guys play travel in Western Maryland, but I know here we have a ton of kids that play travel ball. What I've noticed is they don't know how to compete because it's more of a showcase. Sure. And I understand the value of that. Um, or, to, you know, they're going to put whatever runner they want out so they can show this guy's speed or they're really not worried about winning the game. And then what happens is when you get kids that have to compete, it seems to be a challenge for some of them, um, as well as just the knowledge of the game. It, it just, I'll get these guys that are incredible athletes and incredible travel players, um, and they don't know how to run a cutoff, uh, or they don't know where to go on. Or, again, and I understand because you're limited, they might practice one day a week. Um, but it seems like that's something that, that I know over the years that I've noticed more and more of. Um, you have to spend a lot more time teaching, which I enjoy. Um, than we have in the past years where some kids come in with that innate knowledge base and, um, and, and, uh, you know, just have that edge to compete. Mm -hmm. That's a big thing. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure your competitive BP, you know, like those kind of things, like those are also making them, they are creating the environment that those kids need to be able to compete, you know, cause if not, you're out, like you're, you're not going to be very successful at practice, you know? And so I think you're, you're building a great environment and your kids definitely see that, you know, they're very competitive. So for sure. Um, my question is, I guess, looking at the, the, when you talk about the play of the day and your pressure mm -hmm. time, 
how are they different? Like our, the, the, the plan today usually turns into be more of a defensive type of activity. Because um, it, it, for whatever reason, that's what we've adopted. Because we try to get as many people involved in it as we can. Um, so like I said, when we're doing our, you know, you have your defense out there, they're basically doing, you know, um, making their cutoff reads off that. That that's you're, you got a lot of people involved in that. Um, it could, you know, infield up, cut to run off the plate. Uh, we can also mix a fly ball in there to try to make them, you know, so we can get our cutoff in on tag at the plate. So um, that that's more of a defensive type thing. Where usually the bunning part is more. I mean, at the end of the day, we we, we spend most of that doing bunning. I'd say the majority of it. Every now and then, again, might be a slash one day, might be a hit and run. Um, but you know that th those type of activities, uh, I think, is what we how we try to split them up. And uh, I, I really, I just, I, I just like to watch the kids. So I even do things sometimes when we do the do the end when we're doing our bunting. I'll say, all right, you 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 failed five times or whatever. We got whatever sets of bases. Now, pick anybody on you want on your team, and you can bet how many of these you want. Mm -hmm. so if you want to try to knock all five of them off, you can bet five. And because I'm curious to see who they think their best runner is or who wants to be there. So now when it comes that time in that situation, I know this guy has no problem coming up there and wanting to get a bunt down. Um, and usually, ironically, not ironically, but it's usually your best hitter uh, a lot of times. He's the guy that's also your best runner, you know. Um, but uh, so we, we try to, you know, split them up that way. So one, I'd say, is more defensive based. The other one's more offensively based. Yeah. So do you like with that competitive groups? Cause it seems like those are very, is those are purposely picked, you know, like your group one, your group two. Um, do you keep those groups a lot of times when you're competing? Do you, are those groups always there or do you let the kids yeah, do certain things? They're only, they're only there on the competitive BP. Um, sometimes we'll do a fly, you know, communication drill where they're competing against one or the other. We'll keep those teams together for that, where they, we see how many times we can hit fly balls and the ball doesn't touch the ground. Mm -hmm. um they work on you know priority systems etc off that but um those two situations would be the uh, you know the two times that it's definitely those groups um sometimes we do our hitting stations a lot of times some, i'll let them pick who they want to go with or i might go to a kid and say look why don't you make sure you get in a group with this guy today because i want you you know to try to be a mentor to that person or something like that um, okay so that's something that I, we, we do our hitting groups uh, that could be a wide variety of things. We don't do anything purposely to keep them together there, but uh, we do on the other. Again, it's it's pretty obvious. I mean, most of them know who you're, obviously your starting lineup is, but every now and then you get that one where kids are battling, and this really gives them an opportunity uh, to to try to win that starting job. So it makes them feel you know, that they have to work it harder and and, and beat the top of their game. Sure. Sure. I, you you touch base about like I'll just think I'm thinking now in game in-game stuff you talk about in-game you keep track of quality at bats offensively um yes. you know and you you track all these things in practice you know with you know the, the 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 extreme hustle and those things do you bring any of those things into the game like when you go to play games or those strictly just practice well the, mainly strictly practice uh, i do know there's a lot of times we will time their their times to first base so you know, we said to them, I don't care if you had a ground ball in the hole with short or a ground ball to pitcher, your time should be the same running to first base. Um, so we will time them running to first base. And um, if we catch them dogging down there, there are consequences. Um, you know, I've even pulled people out of the game for that. Um, so I want them busting their tail. Again, it'll be strictly, you know, it's not to make anybody embarrassed. It's that we want pressure on the defense. And I don't know how many times I've seen balls hit to the pitcher that that gets thrown away. Um, and just for that simple reason, if you sit there and jog down there, he can just jog over and flip it. But now you make him, you know, perform or create a sense of urgency. Um, that's a problem. So I would say that we time, we'll time them there. Um, you know, and again, the quality of bats, we usually have somebody take them, take, keeping those. Usually one of our assistant coaches does that. And then we'll have some kids doing some other stuff with it. But, um, I wish we had, uh, the software to be able to track a lot of these, uh, you know, otherwise, I heard I heard some of your sessions. I know with um, Coach Eller talking about TrackMan and some of the other things that the information. I wish we we had yeah. uh, that kind of database, but uh, we have to do most of that by hand. But, um, but the competitive BP, I mean, the um, quality of bats is something that it's easy to measure. Um, 
And the kids know, we, we, we usually have a chart in the dugout just reminding them of the quality of bats and what their importance are and et cetera. And, you know, our goal is to be over 500. So we went in over 500 as a team. Um, and I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was it was something crazy, like our winning percentage anytime we went over 500. Mm-hmm. So uh, we make a big effort to really do that. And that's why, again, our kids will cheer with two out foul balls, two strike foul balls, uh, you know, two strike base hits. You'll see our kids, uh, you know, cheer on things that most people normally don't. So it's something that it's important to them. And we try to, you know, drive that importance as hard as we can. Sure. And anything on the, on the pitching side? But from what we track or yeah, what like we... basically track during in game, you know, and then like, even when you like, uh, I guess in the competitive BP, you probably don't in that situation because they're probably no, they're not pitching. Um, well, so we, like... track, we do track. Um, my catching coach actually tracks first pitch strikes. Uh, first batter outs, um, breaking ball strikes, fastball strikes. He keeps all that. And I just let him, I said, look, instead of me relaying to me, you just ignore that information with them at the end of the game, which we normally do. We'll bring parties or the next day, depending. Um, but they're the biggest things there. I used to really stress first pitch strikes. And what I noticed was sometimes it's first pitch, let's say a borderline pitch and it's a ball. I noticed our pitchers felt like they were they were failing. So I changed that to one of the first two pitches we want to be a strike. We want to be no worse than a one-one count. Um, so that seems to maybe helped a little bit from taking the pressure off the pitchers that all right, you didn't throw your first pitch strike, but now that we gotta really focus on getting this one over. Um so that that's been a big plus force too, I think. You're just that that little focus point um, that we want to at least be even in account. Or a hit count, obviously, at the end of those pitches. And because everybody knows with a 2 0 count, your batting average goes up astronomically. So oh, yeah. uh, we try to stay out of that. Cool. Cool. So, because you said you take care of most of the other pitchers, right? That's when you're pulling guys during the defensive breakdowns? I take the pitchers doing that. I take them doing when we're throwing. Um, you know, and, and again, I, it, it's sort of so much from a pitching standpoint to cover. Um, you know, so holding runners and all that, I'm able to do that. Uh, pitch outs. Uh, something I think don't get practiced enough. Now you call it a game and you know, the ball goes back to the screen. Uh, we've even on certain years, depending on teams that we play, um, we'll give a verbal yell. So if the pitcher starts his wind up, I've just verbally yelled for a pitch out, which you have to really rep to get that comfort level into their zone. But sure. if we know it's a big squeeze team um, and maybe we saw something that we thought tipped it or maybe the guy broke early. Uh, or usually we can read the batter's eyes. He usually looks like a deer in headlights when he gets squeezed. So <laughs> and something that we see that maybe the pitch has already been called, um, then we'll go ahead and try to verbal it in. So uh, and that that's that's come up big for us a couple of times. Wow, that's that's serious. Yeah, you gotta really practice that. That and then the other thing that we that we've done the last few years is we've had kids put the brakes on when we were stealing and they slip they did a slide step. So that's been a big help to us too. Like um I'm going to say 10 years ago, when we didn't do that. We saw, oh, man, guys from a slot step. Well, at some point, I think Coach Bird said, why don't we just practice stopping? And um, I said, well, I don't know if we can do that, but let's try it. So we started trying it in practice, and kids seemed to like it, and um, it really helped us there. So when he got the slide step, we didn't get the high leg, then we were able to put the brakes on. So, uh, and there's times we fouled it up, but for the majority of the time, that read's been a big plus as well as we took on the stealingbases.com stuff yeah. the last few years. I'll tell you what, that's that's changed the game. I, we we played a couple teams that I would even thought about stealing in the past. Uh, Mount St. Joe had a catcher a couple of years ago. It was like a one eight seven pop time. We stole the base twice. He couldn't even make a throw just because of of that specific read. Again, it takes a lot of work, too. It does. Um, and we try to practice that for a short period every day. And Some kids practice that on their own. But that's um, I have to thank Tom Eller for that because he's the one that shared that information with us, and then we we got it when we went to one of the clinics uh, on top of it. But uh, that's been a big help because I saw where they were leading the country a couple of years and you know stolen bases, not the match they hit. Yeah, God knows how runs. Yeah, but their their base running game good I think went under without people realizing it. And uh, he said, "Man, you got to get this stuff in because this is good stuff." And yeah, yeah, that's our, what kids. That's- yeah, I mean, I, I'm, with, I'm with you. And that's what people don't realize is Tom was teaching base running just as much as he was teaching his hitting stuff. And 
I mean, they were never on first base. I mean, those those teams were like never on first base. <laughs> it was just crazy. I mean, you look you look back at a couple of those years and you know what they did base running wise on top of them slugging and everything else. It was it, they were tough. They were. Really we tough. were at one of the clinics. I can't remember where it was at, and we were talking about. We just had seen. I've, I've lost a gentleman's name now that, that brought to stealingbases.com. Uh, he's with that, yes, now he's with one of the pro teams right now. He's with the Yankees. Yeah. So he, he, he we just heard him speaking. We're out here sitting talking, and we're out like in the hallway, and all of a sudden this guy looks over at us, and it was um, Kai uh, Correa. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, guys, if you're even debating this, you're fools. He said, you've got to do this. He said I, he was coaching – I'm trying to think what division one. He was in a division. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, Kai Korea. He was out there. Well, he said they were playing Air Force. And he said, Air Force stole nine bases doing this technique, and we couldn't stop it. Had no chance of stopping it. And he said, if you, he said, I'm just telling you, you know, you've got to put this in. So I said, well, if there's any doubt, we've got to at least try. Mm -hmm. And um, we couldn't get all of our kids to do it. They weren't comfortable with it. But I would say we had five. Yeah, we had five and and um, just to practice practice repping it and uh, I like it. I mean, I like it for something for something different because it just uh, excited the kids. It gave them something to look forward to and um, it gave them a new a new tool. Um, I think Coach Krieger used the term. Uh, you got you got to know when to open the coat uh, from the matrix. So he said basically you got to have those things available. So if you got that stud catcher, you got to pull something out that you can steal on. Or if you've got that stud pitcher, I've got to be able to slash or bunt or do something to be able to counter that. And um, that's what we've tried to do. Try to have something there available. If, you know, something else wasn't working, we've got to give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's helped us too. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's like, that's just competing. You know, it's, it's, it's competing and absolutely having a toolbox. I mean, I, and I also like how Matt is, it's just like the game. It's just like another game within them, you know, like how, they're trying to slide step or, okay, well, we're going to do this and um, to try and counteract that. And it's just a little game that I think has really shown. I think it's really kind of helped, you know, base running kind of went away for a time. You didn't have so much focus on it. And now like, you know, there's definitely a lot more focus. I've also seen, you know, I'm sure you have the best teams are also the also base run well, or that most coach teams, like it's a very coached skill to be a good base running team. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You can always tell how well a team runs. And I, what comes to mind is we, we played Riverdale, was, you know, all the time over the years. And their base running, the amount of pressure that they put on your team was just incredible. Um, and that's that's where we, I, you know, that helped me, too, to say, I got to figure out how to do this because this, you know, this is a weapon that, you know, we, we need to have. And even though he'd have got draft picks, he'd have, you know, whatever hitters, but it didn't matter if the, the, the bump, if you gave them the bump, they took it. Uh, they did, they did whatever you were willing to take to keep that pressure on you. And it just, you know, it'd be a big inning and blow the game open. So uh, without a doubt, I think that's, you know, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And you said that, do you say that you typically will take over the base running? Like when you do that first thing right after your stretch, is that something that you take over? Is that something, you, all your coaches? Are you all? All, all the coaches will do that. Like, like coach Burton usually goes to first because he coaches first. So that way he, he might give he might give them some verbals along the way that of stuff he sees. I do second. Um, so I work on the vault leads, et cetera, those kind of things, vault steel jumps. Uh, coach Gal will take third. And then my catching coach takes the outfielders. And the reason we have an outfielder a group there catching fly balls, number one, you can't get enough fly balls. But number two, some days our base runners will make reads off that. So we usually have a machine set up. So like today, if I'm working on, all right, we got no outs and we're on second, we always tag on the fly ball, always. Because we want to be at third. I mean, we want to get to third with one out. If one out, we always hang. Because we're no better off one third with two outs than we would be there so we practice repping that and i can do it off that that machine they can turn and get that the guys at first can work on getting all they can get so they'll work on seeing how far they can get off the base so you know we put that outfield machine in there number one again it helps you with fly balls and sometimes they'll put two lines to do communications with it but the other times it lets our base runners get reads so we use that for that piece of it too yeah that's great 
That's great. And then again, it goes back to that consistency of having your coaches, you know, if you've got three or four coaches, each of you have a base. I mean, it's great to say like, I just fake even base running just the second base. So like, that's, that's awesome. You know, and especially, you know, I don't know about you guys, you know, but like you know, what typically, you know, you're starting practice on four o'clock. Right. I mean, you think about how tough it is even to get a guy to, to get the schedule there, you know? So that's, that's always been a, that's always a, a thing for us at our level is the schedule you know, and being able to have a guy consistently show up at four o'clock, four thirty. you know, yeah, I'm trying to start practice at four means baseman is going to start about four fifteen, four twenty. There's not too many, you know, there's not a lot of jobs out there that's going to be able to let you get out to somewhere that early. Well, I know our, our JV coaches can't get here uh, till probably a half hour into practice. So we have everybody practice together for the first half hour. So when we do our base running, um, and we do our throwing and we do our stretching. That's all together as a team. Mm -hmm. So then when they come, then we split up and we don't have two fields, but they might do the cages where we're doing the field and we just flip flop or do something mm -hmm. along those. Uh, or sometimes we'll use them for runners or, uh, we, you know, we don't, we had a field in town that they used to go to, um, but we found out this, you know, with our coaches not being able to get there, this works the best. So, sure. and plus they get, they get reps with the varsity guys. And I, again, I think that's a win for both. Because the varsity guys, I think when you can teach something, which they like to do, you got to know it. You got to really learn it. And I think it's a big, big thing for our older guys to work with our younger guys, also and pass on the tradition um, as we do that. So I think that's that helps. That gives you buy-in on both parts. Absolutely. No, I was I'm, I was a big component of that. You know, loving to have the guys together as much as we could. You know, especially being a smaller school with even our small rosters, we could definitely do. You know, you can definitely do a full two-team practice. Um, you know, it's always nice to have a one day, too, where, um, like, I would have two two teams with everybody in the program, you know, where, like, then if we are doing something competitive, it's, like, purple versus gold or, you know, red versus black or, you know, blue versus white, you know, whatever your teams are. And then you could have everyone competing from that senior down to your freshman. And, you know, there's some pretty valuable teaching there, uh, valuable mentoring, valuable ways to handle it, you know. and um, you know, it's just, that's something that's really cool, you know, especially while you're trying to create an environment of competing and just teaching and getting the most out of your kids you can. But at the same time, like, like, yeah, like some of our JV or the coaches just, just couldn't be there. So, you know, it's a way for us to kind of manage it while until the coaches got there. Yeah. I'm, I'm blessed on that. I know one of our coaches has his own business. The other one negotiated with his boss during March or whatever, he's doing baseball. Mm -hmm. So he would start earlier uh, in the morning and that way it freed him up to go. Uh, so that worked out one or other coaches is a teacher in another building. So, you know, works out pretty well. Yeah. That's awesome. But, uh, man, coach, we went through a ton of stuff, man. This was a lot of fun. This was a lot, a ton of fun. Um, let's say like someone after this man wants to like reach out to you, maybe touch base about competitive BP or something like that. Would you be willing to put your email out there? To have someone uh, contact sure, you? I'd love to do it. Okay. It's uh, bfemi at talbotschools.org. Talbotschools.org. Yes, schools is plural. And um, by all means, I mean, because that's, uh, I've been blessed over the years to ask people when I needed help, whether it be Coach Krigger, if I had pitching questions, or Bernie Walters, or, you know, whomever. Um, you know, I remember talking to Mike Franklin. Um, at one of the fields one time and just trying to pick his brain. Um, just, just, I mean, cause I, I think when it, whenever you're, you're comfortable with the amount of knowledge that you have, that's when it's time to quit. That's what I always say. People would ask me, when are you, when are you going to quit? I said, well, I'd take the question number one, but number two, um, I'm not going to quit until I don't feel comfortable trying to learn more knowledge or trying to do something along those lines. So yeah. it's always a big help. So is that something that you've seen with, um, I know we kind of touched base on that question before about the, the mentality of that person, but um, looking even at from a coaching standpoint or like, you know, is that what you've seen from the, the better coaches? They're always willing to try something new and or let's say learn something new or at least be humble enough to say, Hey, I don't got this thing figured out. I'd say the best coaches keep open minds. So that, that would answer that question. Of course, that would yeah. you know, bring all that in. And they also build relationships with their kids. That's the two things that I've seen um, that, that if I had to pick a characteristic of it, um, that's, that's what it would be. Um, Cause it's, you know, 
you hear people say it all the time, but you know, I, I have three things that I want kids to know all the time that they can believe in us. They can always trust us and that we will always be there for them even after they graduate. Cause I don't know how many times I've got all things for job references or, you know, somebody wanted to go talk, come in and talk about their son learning how to hit. And they don't want to listen and all that kind of stuff. So, um, it just, I, I think those three things I try to strive to do as a coach. So I've made a difference in those, in those kids' lives somehow. Wow. Um, can, can, you, can you repeat that? Because that was, that's pretty powerful. Can you, can you repeat that again? There was the three things you want your kids to believe? I want them to believe in us. Again, that's just a personal goal of mine. I want them to trust us, and that's our coaching staff in general. And I want them to know that we'll always be there for them, good or bad, and um, their doors are always open. And, you know, and, I, and I feel I have that relationship with all the kids that play for us. Even kids that maybe didn't play a lot uh, still come back and still talk about it. And, you know, by doing that, that you've built a relationship. If you've got that, those three things, I think you build a relationship with kids. And, uh, but that's something a lot of times I'll, I'll be in the middle of the season and I'll, I'll stop and ask myself, are we doing those three things? Or is this something that we're doing? And there's been a couple of years where I think maybe I had to question myself a little bit. Um, maybe we lost a couple of games and maybe then I started um, not being myself. And then a lot of times, again, just take, take a minute, you know, take it all in and it'll pass and get back to where we were. So. That's incredible. That's some of the best, some of the best advice I think anybody can get. That's incredible. Um, wow. I think let's just, uh, let's end on a high note there. And that's, uh, you're not, we're not going to get much better than that. Wow. That was awesome. That was awesome, Coach. Great talking with you. Yeah, it was really great. As I like said, and it was funny, like when you were talking about, uh, like Ella, we were talking about base running, like I, I, I think that was me and you talking when Kai, when Kai jumped in. I'm pretty sure that was me and you at the convention. Cause I was like, man, this stuff is no joke. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that was me. And I knew Kai was in front of us. Was it New Jersey or no. was it in the national convention? It was a national, it was an ABCA. See, we were, I'm pretty sure this was in New Jersey because At Cherry they, Hill. they, well, it's a new guy doing it now. Somebody called inside baseball. Yeah. 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 No, I and, thought we were, I thought we were talking about this at another one. And I thought Kai was right in front of us when we, when we were talking about this. Oh, he jumped right in. He jumped right in and he said, if you guys don't do this, you're fools. Uh, <laughs> and he said, especially, he said, he said, what level do you coach at? He said, oh my God. He said, yeah. he said, you will be shocked at how successful this will make you. Yeah. And um, I just looked at our coach and said, after I listened to him speak before, mm-hmm. um, I, t- I, t- I think one of our coaches said, I felt like that somebody, he just came down from Mars and they dropped him in the middle of a baseball diamond. And he said, you guys have been teaching baseball wrong for the last 50 years. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and the stuff that he gave us, yeah, it, it, it was just so good. Stuff I'd never seen. Um, you know, playing catch on one leg and all that stuff. And, yeah, Kai stuff's uh, amazing. Kai stuff's Love amazing. It. So, um, yeah, so that was a uh, – it must have been – because I know he said they just came back from the National Convention. Okay, then it must have been New Jersey, yeah. and maybe, maybe I forget where it was because I know we've had that conversation, and I swear someone butted in. <laughs> I swear, and I was like, "No, oh, but anyways, but yeah, because like, and that's like when I started doing all this stuff because I I started doing this during the quarantine, you know, and I'm like, I've had so many conversations with so many coaches. I'm like, all I had to do is record it and then just you know put it out there. I mean, if they've just you know we've had conversations like this, you know, like it might not have been an hour, you know, but. Right. I know we were talking base running for probably 30 minutes that day. Well, again, I, I think this is this is how you get good. Again, I, I, I've i done it this numerous times. I rode to Bernie's house one night uh, when I was first, when, you know, I've been coaching a little bit, but just trying to say, you know, why are you successful? What, you know, so basically we were doing our own podcast. Yeah. Uh, back yeah. And, uh, you know, before any of this existed and uh, just to try to figure out, I did the same thing with Coach Terrell. Um, just just a wealth of knowledge, these guys. Just, oh, well, yeah. Oh my, for sure. For sure. Well, but again, I appreciate you being flexible and giving me the opportunity to speak with you, man. And it's just been incredible. It's been incredible. And I, I'm not surprised because you're pretty incredible. So, um, well, the same about you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, hope you have a great 4th of July. Thank you. Yep. Same to you. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. And, um, you know, we can do this again, even off the air, whatever, man, I'll sure be giving you a shout. Sounds good.
How about that? Coach Femi just brought the juice. Great stuff. Um, just loved. I, I especially just loved how he just finished it with the three things and his his goals that he has for what he wants his kids to do. Uh, I think that was very telling of the kind of person he is and what he's trying to create there, what he has created, what he has created at St. Michael's. Um, you know, if you haven't looked into the base, uh, still bases stuff from Matt Tellerico, you're missing out on base running. Um, you know, Coach Remy talks about that here again. Here he is, 30 years, and he's already revamping his way to base running. I know I've seen great things with that. Um, you know, just how much I can truly speak to the pressure that he puts on defenses and the way they play the game. It is very tough to do, and um, does a great job at it. And I just love all of the stuff that he way he um, does break down practice, and you can tell that his guys are prepared. They're able to do certain things situationally because they practice it. So, again, if we're not doing those things, if your kids aren't performing well in the games, those are feedback for coaches to say, hey, we must not be doing this right in practice. I must not be getting them transitioned to practice. No, it's not about them not figuring it out uh, or, you know, it's it's also, you know, Coach Femi doesn't assume anything. He's not waiting on them to figure it out. He's going to teach them. And um, he does have a great situation there at St. Michael's. If you ever have a chance to go check him out in, in Maryland, I highly recommend it. He's got a great facility. It's actually named Harold Baines Field. Um, Harold Baines went there, the Hall of Famer. And um, it's a tremendous place, a great place to go, even a great place to go vacation with your family but again thank you coach Femi uh coach Brian Femi if you ever want to reach out to him anything else for more of his um practice stuff his base running um I loved how he said his family first at bats I think that's a great way to say it I think anybody could take something out but that's one little thing that's how you can say it first instead of that's a team at bat that's a family first at bat I think that's a great way that shows the kind of culture that he has there um I love his competitive BP and if you're measuring it it's going to get done. You know, we people said it, measure it, you treasure it, you measure it, it gets managed. You know, however you want to think about it, his competitive BP, it happens, it works. He's getting good results from it. I love there's three types of players, average player who competes. You have great ability but goes through the motion, his average work ethic, but then you have the great ability with the great work ethic and mentality. Um, just at basically level one, two, and three player. And... Um, you know, again, if you have any other questions you have for Coach Femi, please reach out to him at bfemi, B-F-E-M-I, at talbotschools.org. Uh, please share this episode. I Hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, give me any feedback that you'd like at treytcobb at gmail.com. Again, it's treytcobb at gmail.com. I'll be happy to um, hear any feedback that you have about the show, anybody that you think would be great for the show that embodies you know, a coach who's about the whole program, who's about the whole player. You know, physically, mentally, as a citizen, on the field, off the field. That's what we're about. And I hope that you keep getting better. And see you next week.